Welcome back for another week. We are up to Parak Dalit. Our learning is dedicated to Ule Nishmat Ripta Badiakhu Velevi for Rufua Shlema for Tila Batya Bakhaya Tova, Brahavi Gailbar Ahogita, Yedidi Chaiman Aviva Rivka Chaya, Moshe Ali Melech Alevi Ben Basha, and Shadokim for all in need. When we when we learned last time, we kind of left off with um, some unanswered questions. The first question that I want to go back to. Uh, which I had hoped to kind of develop a little bit more in a point to ponder, but we didn't we didn't get to that. Is the Aron Habrit? The the phrase is mentioned ten times in Paragimel. Why is it ten times mentioned as Aron Habrit? Why use that phrase? We have Aron Hakodesh, we have Aron Hashem. Why is it that we use the words Aron Habrit? That's the first question. Second unanswered question is if you take a look at the pasuk where Yoshua says this is. The purpose of coming into Eretz Yisrael, it says, When this happens, you will know that there is a Kelchai in your midst. And you're going to conquer all the nations of the land. Kelchai is not a common way to refer to Hashem. In fact, it is the first time it's used in Tanakh. And even Beyond here, we don't have that many more mentions of Kelchai. What is significant about Kelchai? And what is really interesting is if you look at the Brit Milah, there are four brachot. The first two are the brachot ha-mitzvah. Um, then there is a hagafen. And the fourth bracha is this bracha of praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And we refer to God there as Kelchai. So these are unanswered questions that we carried over from Pereg Gimel. And I hope that by the time we finish Pereg Dalit, we'll have a better understanding as to why that is the case. Okay, Pasag Aleph. When the nations, when the nation, the Jewish people concluded going over the Jordan, Hashem says to Yeshua saying the following, the 12 people from the nation, one per Shevet. Rashi points out, what is Shema Sarnashim? Who are these 12 people? Rashi says, You remember back to Paragimel, we had this weird Pasuk in the middle, weird if you will, saying, prepare these 12 people. What are these 12 people doing? We have no idea. We're not told. All that we're told is that these 12 people are ready. These are the 12 people. Tell them the following. I want you to take from the Yardin, from the feet of the Kohanim, prepare 12 stones. Take it with you and put it in the Malon. Malon is usually translated as a hotel. Hard to imagine that there is a hotel in Gilgal, so more which is where they're going to end up. But more likely, it's the resting place that you're going to tonight. You're going to put them there. You're taking 12 stones from the water, from the feet, and you're bringing them to the place that you're going to sleep tonight. That's the command from Hashem. It seems, according to the command of Hashem, that there is one set of stones that will be removed from the Yardin, and that will travel with the Jewish people. Where will it travel to? What's going to happen with it? We're going to get there. Um, 
Okay. Now Rashi does point out that Moshe If you remember back to Parsha Kitavo, when it mentions the uh, the process of the brachel and hargrizim and har eval, Moshe commands there that you're going to build a mizbeach and har eval, and you're going to write the Torah there. Okay. So that Rashi quotes. We're going to take a look at this Rashi. A li- or try to understand this Rashi a little bit better at the end. But Rashi does say, On this very day, they arrived at Har'eval, which is actually quite mind-blowing that they would have been able to travel 60 kilometers in one day from Yericho all the way up to Har'eval, and Har'eval, that's by Shechem, in one day with these massive stones. Okay, let's hold that aside. We have a lot of questions that we're holding aside, but let's hold it onto it for a little bit. Now, what actually happens? Again, the command from God is 12 stones, and bring it with you to the hotel for the night. Yes, the Midrashic overlay that Rashi gives us that not only do they bring it to the Malon, but they bring it to Shechem all in one day. Beautiful. But the command very simply is take 12 stones from the feet, keep them. By cry so Yeshua calls out these 12 people. Again, one from each tribe seems to be very important to our story. Yeshua says, I want you to go in front of the Aron Hashem. That is interesting here. It's Aron Hashem, not the Aron Abrit. Which is in the Yardin. And each one of you should pick up a stone and put it on your shoulders, and there'll be one stone for each shaveh. Why are you doing this? What is the purpose of this? It's so that it'll be an oat. It's going to be a symbol. Because one day, your son is, your children are going to come to you and say, what are these rats? I want you to think for just a moment. I'll read those words again. Those words should sound very, very familiar. When your children will ask you, what are these stones? So Rabbi Alex Izzel points out that this is actually almost the exact same language as Shmot, Pasuk Dalid, where what is this Avodah? We know that from the from the, the Seder, the children, two of the children say, what is this? One says, Ma'avodah, what is this? And the other one says, what is this to you? Seems to be the same thing. Again, it's a question, why would we pick language? Why would God use language? Why would Yeshua use language that is bringing to us an echo of the, story, the Haggadah and Pesach? And you're, and you're going to say to them, this is what you're going to tell your children. When they ask, what are these stones? You're going to say, you're going to say that when the Jordan River was split by the Aron Brit Hashem, when the Jews crossed over, they will be a remembrance forever. So imagine that you're traveling with your kids, you see these stones, wherever these stones end up, and your kids say to you, what are these? And you tell them the fabulous story, the amazing miracle 
beautiful picture in the top uh, top corner. You tell your children, do you know what happened? The Jews are trying to cross the Jordan River. They could have used the bridge. They could have figured out a smaller path to get through. Hashem made a miracle. And the water piled up. And you know how far it piled up? Piled up all the way to Adam and Sartan. 25 kilometers north of the point that the Jews crossed over. And everybody saw that God did this. And for good measure, you'll tell your children that that's the, the, that was the nail in the coffin that destroyed the resolve of the locals. And that ushered in the time of the conquest of the land. It'll be an amazing story to tell your children. Okay? It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful idea. And the Jewish people did exactly as, as Yoshua had commanded them. Again, this is beautiful. This is Parak Aleph happening again. What does Hashem promise Yoshua? Nobody will start up with you. Everybody will listen to you. They did exactly as they were told. He took 12 stones from the Jordan. And again, why do we need to know that? And they brought it to the Malon. Now, interestingly, really could be a lot shorter. It could just say, period. Why do we need all these details? Seems to be that there is a lot of repetition in this parak to hammer home a point over and over and over again. Okay, before we, before, before we look at the screen and, and what's going on there, let's take a look at Pasuk 10. But Yoshua then took 12 stones and put them in the Yarden. Underneath the feet of the Kohanim. They're carrying the Aron Habrit. And they were there until this very day. Now, wait a second. He took 12 stones out of the river and he put them by Malone. And then he takes 12 stones that are out of the river and puts them back. What's the purpose of that? Why do you need to take him out of the water and bring them and then bring from outside and put them back in the water? That is one question which I hope that we'll get. The other question is, what do we make with the words, Vayu, Sham, Ad, Hayom, it, it was there until this very day. So in cycle number one, almost 10 years ago, we were learning these psukim. It was the first time we had the words, Ad, Hayom, And someone asked, what does Ad, Hayom, mean? Like, if I go back in 2023 and walk to that spot, am I going to find these stones? If I go to Har Eval, am I going to find these stones? What's the deal with these stones? That's question number one. Question of that. So is it until this very day? Or do we say, when was Sefer Yoshua written? When were these books written? So anytime it says, Adayomazen, Tanakh, what does it mean? The person that wrote it did not write it in that moment, but they wrote it sometimes a few years later and sometimes many, many years later. So if it says Adayomazen and it's really a hundred years later, 
that's a pretty big deal. If I put something as a, as a memorial somewhere, no guarantee that it's going to be there in 100 years, in 200 years, in 1,000 years. So the fact that it's still there, many years later, is a big deal. So the Mitzudah's David says the following, Ratzal Omar Ad Olam, forever. We're reading this Pasuk in 2023. I read this Pasuk or saw this Pasuk for the very first time in fourth grade a lot of years ago. Someone else might have read this Pasuk in the 1500s living in Israel. Ad says the Mitzudah. And that's a cloud gadol. It's a pretty big deal. That means that the Mitsuda's David is going out to say that anytime it says Adayomazet in Tanakh, it is something that is lasting for a long time. And we have a long way to go. We're on Perak Dali with probably about another 150 prakim to go until we finish Naviyam Rishonim. But it would be interesting to watch all the Adayomazes from now on and try to understand that. But I did ask this question to Rabbi Kalimur Zetzal whose yard site was this past Tuesday. I asked him this question at the time, what does Adi Yomazeh mean? And he felt it was not Adi Yomazeh until this very day, but until it was written. And so therefore, sometimes it was a few hundred years later, but there is no guarantee that you're going to find these stones no matter how hard you look. Okay. Now, we are not going to take a look at this, but if you want on your own time, take a look at the Ralbag and Rashi. They have an interesting machloket where they discuss when the stones came out of the water um, and when the Kohanim went into the water, meaning did they take the stones out first and then the Kohanim entered with new stones in their place? It was just a stone replacement or were they already there? You need to put stones in. It's an interesting machloket, an interesting discussion. I don't think that we have to discuss that now. But it is a point for you to ponder right now. But let's take a look at the screen now. We have 12 stones in Tanakh in at least three different places. We have it by our story here. In fact, here we don't have one set of stones. We have two sets of stones. Why, are we, why do we have these sets of stones? It's not clear. We're still not sure. But we're getting it. We have by Harsina that if you take a look at Perch of Dalid, End of Parshas Mishpatim. Moshe takes 12 stones. He builds it as a Mizbeach, brings Korbanot. Okay. Why is it built there? Part of the Mizbeach. Eliyahu and Hara Carmel, one of my favorite stories in all of Tanakh. Eliyahu goes on to Carmel. He has the showdown with the Nevi'eh Habal. And what does he do in the midst of all that? He brings 12 stones and he sets it up. Why 12 stones? And what's the purpose? So Eliyahu and Har Carmel and Har Sinai, it's very clear that the 12 stones are going to be in this Bayah. Now, Rashi does tip us off that these 12 stones will be transported to Har Eval. Har Eval has a Mizbeach and the Torah is written on these stones. So there is a Mizbeach in the context of this story, even if the 12 stones are not necessarily being used as the Mizbeach. The question is, what's the common thread between Harsinai, Yehoshua, and Eliyahu and Harkarmi? What do these 12 stones have to do with each other? Another question that we have to try to understand. Okay, we have three more questions on this page. Why does the Aron lead them, but stay on the other side of the river? 
Now, I'll, I'll take that question a little further. The Jewish people leave their, leave Shittim. The Aron doesn't leave them. They go down to the banks of the river. This is the place that they're going to gather, sleep the night, cross the next day. No Aron leading them, no Anan, no Aish. How do they do it? Yoshua says, guys, so we got to go. We go. And yet, they get to the banks of the Jordan River, and what happens there? They have to, they have to cross over. So for a, a bit, the Aaron leads them. Then they all cross over. And after they cross over, the Aaron stays on the other side. And then once all the Jews are free and clear, that is when the Aaron goes across. Okay? So that is an important question. And the other two questions are questions we already had. Why are the stones taken out from their feet? And why replace them in the river? Okay, those are thoughts that we have to deal with. Pasuk Yod. Vakoanim nosei ha'aron umdim betoch ha'yardein. The koanim are in the middle of the river, or at the edge of the river. They're still in the water. Atom kol ha'davar shetivat Hashem et Yoshua ledaber la'am. Until Yoshua concluded saying, Everything that he was commanded to tell by God. Everything that Moshe commanded Yoshua. And the Jews quickly cross. Everything that he told the people. What did he tell the people? Everything Moshe told Yoshua. What does he tell them? The Gemara and Sota fills in the blanks because obviously this Pasuk is very, very, very hard. The Gemara and Sota says, Odam They were still in the Jordan. Amar lahem Yoshua, Yoshua says them, Du'u, understand. Why are you crossing the Jordan? It's so that you're conquering the land. You're not just going for fun. You're going to conquer the land. That was your mutav. If that's what you want to do, then great. If you are accepting that mission, that's great. If not, the water will drown Otichem. What does Otichem mean? Me, Yoshua says, and you. We are going to be drowned. We are going to die if we don't accept this mission. Why tell them this now? They're in the middle of the water. The picture of them, you have all the Jews in the water. They want to get out. The water is piling higher and higher and higher. And you're saying to yourself, I don't know. How long did that water hold itself up? It's pretty scary. And the Pesukim even say, Vaimaru, they want to get out quickly. Yet, Yoshua holds them in the water, waiting. Let's see. Will you accept the mission or not? What does this sound like? There's another medrash by another stone story that sounds actually quite similar to this. When the Jewish people were at Har Sinai, what happens? The mountain, it says that they were under the mountain. Shat in the Pesukim is very simple. 
You're at the bottom of the mountain. That's not the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain. But the Gemara tells us that what happened? God lifted the mountain, placed it over the heads of the Jews and said, no, are you going to take the Torah or not? If you're going to take the Torah, great. If not, I'm going to drop it on your head. Where's the Bechira? Where's their choice? God is holding the mountain over their head. If they don't take it, they're going to die. Isn't this the same thing? Yoshua says, we're in the middle of the water. Say yes. Because if you say no, the water is going to sweep you all away. Nobody's going to say no to that. Why is it? It seems like there's a deliberate attempt on the Medrash's part to create a set of circumstances by both stories that make it absolutely, absolutely impossible to believe that the Jews are going to say no. I would add, just came to me now, that Eliyahu and Carmel actually is a little bit similar. Because Eliyahu says something to the Jews that's also really important. He says to them, well, until when are you going to stay on, on both sides of the fence? Commit. Either you're all in with God or you're all out. But you can't have God and Baal be your God at the same time. Perhaps once again, there is a connection between all of these stories. And I think we're almost, we're almost there. Let's take a look at Pasuk Yudal. And then after they conclude going, the Kohanim go before the people. So the um, Rashi and the Radak, Rashi says something wild. He says, The Aron, rather than continuing across the Jordan, the Kohanim took a step back. So the Kohanim were now on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, and the Jews in their entirety were on the western bank. And then what happened? The water goes back to its original ways. Now, after that happened, the Aron is stuck. It's on the wrong side. So what happens? The Aron carried its carriers and they floated across the water. That is Rashi's understanding of Pasuk Yer Aleph. The Radak says, Why do I need this? He says, I, there's a much easier way. Why do you need this? The Emi continues, well, a few lines down. That is an amazing miracle. Why wouldn't you tell us that? Tell us that in the Psukim itself. You don't want to miss out on sharing a miracle like that. And yet, no. Psukim seem to just tell us that the iron crossed. And then Rashi has this medrash who gives us this amazing, amazing explanation. So what exactly is going on here? Okay. Let's continue. The Bnei Ruven and the Bnei Gad and the Chatsi Shev and Menashe come armed before the Jewish people, just as Moshe had commanded them. Malbim says, until now, 
every Shevet came in there, you know, the Hebra was together, you had the Ruvain, the Shimons, the Levis, everyone was together. And now all of a sudden emerged the Bnei Gad, the Bnei Ruvain, and the Chatzin Shevet Menashe, and they separate themselves, come to the front of the line and say, we're here. Around 40,000 soldiers. They come to Arvot Yericho, to the edge of Yericho, ready to fight. should also, it should echo the Psukim at the very end of Kriyas Yamsub, right before the Shira. On this day, Yehoshua was great in the eyes of the Jewish people. Now, Yehoshua and Paragimel refused to tell this to the Jewish people. But now it happened. He became great in their eyes. God says to Yehoshua, saying, Let's go. Tell them to come out of the Yardin. Tells them to come out of the Yardin. Tells them to come out of the when the Kohanim come out of the water and their the palms of their feet are no longer on the dry land, and the water goes back to how it was yesterday and the day before. The water was completely normal. It was as though it never happened. On the 10th day of, of, of Chodesh Nisan, they come out of the water of Yachanuba Gilgal, they end up in Gilgal, which is in the eastern corner of Yericho, to the east of Yericho. Yoshua takes those 12 stones, brings them to Gilgal, which is the Malone that they're going to sleep in. If your children ask their fathers, Saying they ask, what are these stones? Interesting is here it does not say lachem, just mavodahazot, as opposed to mavodahazot lachem. I, I could not find any explanations as to why one has lachem and one does not. I left it as a as a note in my uh, my navi that hopefully one day I'll find an answer. If you have an answer, if you have a suggestion that you want to share, please by all means um, send it my way. I, so what are you going to say to them? You're going to tell your children until now it's mainly been also sounds a lot like the Jewish people cross the Jordan on dry land it is a similar story to Kriyas Yamsu God reenacts the same miracle which will launch the people into the next stage of their nation world. Everybody should know. All the nations of the land will know what? The hand of God. Because the hand of God is strong. And it will create Yirat Hashem, fear of God in the entire world. We have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions left. Let's go back and try to just put some of them back on the table. Number one, Aron Brit. Why do we have that? Kel Chai, which is reminiscent of Brit Milah. What is the connection 
between the Aron, right, the 12 stones by Arsinai, by Eliyahu and by Yoshua. Another question. What is the purpose of these 12 stones? And why is it that the Aron Habrit stays in and the Jews actually enter into the land first? Those are our questions. So in order to answer that, I think we have to ask one more question. What is the purpose of entering into the land of Israel? So, Ravigal Ariel has a beautiful idea. It's much longer than this one paragraph, but let me share with you just a little snippet of it. He says the following. This is the hardest position that the Jewish people could be in. It's a hard military endeavor. Are you going to be able to beat the people there? But there also is a philosophical. It's not just that it's hard. There's millions of Kananim that you have to defeat. And they're in fortified cities. If you go, God willing, around Israel, and we'll go to some of those places together in Yerz in three years, you see how many of these walled cities, Yarmouk, Lachish, Gezer, Yericho, there's so many of them. Thick walls. The Jewish people have to get each one of them. That's hard, but there's also the philosophical issue. And this is it. There is a really hard piece of reading Sefer Yoshua. They're going to kill a lot, a lot of people. How does a nation have the right to come into a land? The 31 kings that are living here are a peaceful confederation of states that are getting along. What gives you the right to come in and, def- and attack people that are living in peace? If in the end you're going to live amongst them and accept their culture and not yours, this makes it much, 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 much harder. The idea that you killed all these people, but then left some, and then live, and then adapt the lifestyle of the Kananim, it makes it much harder. So what's the purpose of entering in the land? You have to accept God's mission. Rav Yigal not only answers what's the purpose of entry into the land, Rivigal also answers, what is the Gemara saying? Why do they have to do this? Why in the Yarden? He suggests this medrash maybe is not so, it's not a fancy medrash out there where you have to sit there, Kavale Gigit, is it really, did it, is that really what happened? Or is there a deeper message there? No, maybe Yoshua actually stops them in the Jordan and says, I can't let you in unless you're willing to accept this mission. Because if you're going to go in and you're going to not do it, then what gives us the right to defeat and destroy and kill all these people? 
go find an empty track of land somewhere else and settle there. But if the purpose is to create a berit with HaKadosh Baruch and that coven is so very strong, that deal that you have with God is what enables you and entitles you to get the land of Israel. I think that actually explains a lot of our questions. Aron Habrit, over and over and over again. I'm sure many of you already thought about this. What is it telling us? This moment, Paragimel and Dalit, is the creation of a covenant with God that you are going to take the land in order to live a lifestyle, a lifestyle of man dedicated to Hashem. And so if you want to know what's the connection to Yahu, what is the connection to Sinai? Sinai is exactly that. It is when the when Claudius saw say, we accept the Torah. We accept God as a lifestyle. We accept God as a covenantal partner. What is Eliyahu saying to the Jewish people? He's saying, come on. You accepted this deal with God. Why aren't you doing that? got to do it. got to do it. That's what, God, that's what is happening at Eliana Har Carmel. I believe this is another moment. Keep in mind that the generation that entered at Sinai is not the same generation. This is 40 years later. The adults from Sinai are no longer living. They died in the Midbar. This is a completely new generation. And what do they need? They need a Brit with God. So what are they going to do? They accept their Brit with God. Next parak, they're going to get Brit Mila, Korban Pesach, Kriyat Yamsuf. It's all together. I think we've actually successfully answered almost every one of our questions. The one question that still lingers is how do we understand the fact that the Aron stayed on one side of the Jordan and the Jews go in front of it? I'd like to suggest my own answer. And that is that the Aron Habrit represents a covenant with God. And so the Aron is what is going to lead you into the land. But it's only going to take you to the edge because it's not the Aron that's going to, it's not a weapon of mass destruction that's going to go in and wipe out the land, the enemies in the land of Israel. It is the Jewish people that have to do that. If the Aron goes first, the message that Jews are sending to the nations of the world and to themselves is, is God's war. We're just coming for the ride. By going first, what they're saying is we are proactively working on making this all happen. We're a, we're a big partner in this. Rabbi Hatton actually suggests that uh, in terms of defeating the enemy, these psukim are meant purposely to indicate that it is man and Hashem. There's two sets of stones two declarations, they're not exactly the same. In one, it highlights the greatness of God. God is the one that could do it all. And the other one, it kind of, it not mutes, but it lowers the volume a little bit, tempers it a little bit, and makes it clear that it is not just that God is going to do it, but the Jewish people are going to do it. I'll end with Two last points. The first is, let's take a look at the differences, the last differences between Yamsuf and Yardin. Someone pointed out that they really appreciated 
how systematic it was last week, take a look at two other differences. When the Jewish people leave the Yarding, what do they take out? 12 stones. That's it. Yamsuf, they take out the loot. They take out the jewelry, the gold, the silver, the diamonds, everything else. At Yamsuf, there's 12 paths. Each shaven has their own. Here, there's just one. Rav Remer has a beautiful idea where he suggests that when they come out of Yamsuf, they're not at the same place, not only geographically, of course, but they are not mentally in the same place as they are here. They emerge as one nation with one goal, one path. It's probably mixed over. It's not exactly every Shevet, just, just. And they have the 12 stones behind them or with them. That is what they all take. It's not the loot where one person says, I'm going to take so much. And another person says, ah, maybe I've got enough right from Egypt. Everybody's coming out with those 12 stones, which is a message. Maybe even one of the differences in Psukim is one place talks about your children and you're asking them. And one is it's the in future generations. You're emerging as a nation with one goal. That's his remembrance is what's going on. Let's take a look at these Midrashim. They went to Harival in one day. Why? Because if it's all about the breed between Hashem and Bnei Yisrael, the logical point to connect to is Hargrizim and Hareval. That is where the covenant is on display with the Brachot and the Klavot. And what about the Aron floating with its carriers across the Jordan? Rabbi Hatton gives a beautiful explanation to help us better understand this Medrash. He says this, the message of the second Medrash is that even when you look at a situation and say, this is so hard, it's insurmountable, how could we, the Jewish people, beat all of these nations? How is it that we're going to be able to do what you want us to do, God? The message is, you do your part, but I'll do my part. And when things are really, really challenging, says God, what will I do? The Aron, no say it, no stop. The Aron will carry it, those that need it. But how? How does that work? It's not automatic that God will do that. And that's something that we'll see very, very often throughout the psukim that we're going to learn together over the next three years. Yeah, it will happily carry you so long as you are dedicated to the covenant, the grid that you have with Hashem. Thank you so much for joining us. Mir Hashem next week, Perek Hey.